Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined this week by Solis Chuku and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we look ahead to the 2023 CAF Women's Champions League, which starts on Sunday in Ivory Coast. And as Lionel Messi won the Ballon d'Or, we assess what was a relatively strong showing from Africa for the award. Also, we speak to Benin forward Tosin Ayagun, who plays for Lorient in France. Finals are very fast, and uh, uh, the first first time was always difficult. But now I think I'm getting better every day. That's coming up later. Plus, Stuart on the situation at Manchester United. But let's start with the African Football League, as the first leg of the final of the inaugural edition of the African Football League is on this Sunday. It's been a quick-fire competition, two games a week, and Widad Casablanca of Morocco and Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa are the teams in the final. Now, the semi-finals were very tight. Widad beat Esperance of Tunisia in a penalty shootout after it ended 1-1 on aggregate. And Sundowns beat Africa's most successful Successful club Al Athli of Egypt 1-0 on aggregate, uh, winning 1-0 at home and getting a goalless draw in Cairo. So Widad hosts the first leg this Sunday. The second leg is in South Africa on Saturday, the 11th of this month. Lida's away again this week, and Asolis Chuku in Nigeria is filling in. Asolis, what do you make of the competition so far? Uh, by this point, I think it's pretty clear that the version of the EFL we are getting is in much scaled down version of what was initially pitched. I mean, we got this whole um, charm offensive by CAF and by FIFA, Gianni Infantino coming down here to tell us all of the good stuff that could happen with the AFL. Um, and then when we finally get it, it's really just eight teams and a straight knockout, which interestingly enough, it makes it weird to call it a league when it's just straight knockouts. There's no league you know, round robin stage at all. But, you know, whatever it is, what it is, that's what we got. Um, I, I think the the quick fire nature of it, it doesn't help as much in that it kind of um, diminishes the scale a little bit of the tournament. That's that's how I feel. For everything to just be rushed over a couple of over like a couple of weeks just makes it seem a lot smaller than it should be as opposed to the um, prestige that you know the organizers want to you know accord the competition. So that kind of makes it a little bit wonky but you know, the North African sides, as expected, dominating. We got three of them in the semi-finals. Um, that comes as no surprise, given their history. But um, I think it was—it's—it's a, it's a little bit disappointing to see that some of the other teams have not stepped up. For example, um, Enyimba, who have such a great history, uh, although that goes back almost 20 years now, such a great history on the African continent, um, where allotted a place just on that basis of their prestige. I'm not rising to the occasion, considering what was at stake. That was pretty disappointing as well. Uh, I think that might make the organizers review the idea of selecting teams purely based on representation, on regional representation. I don't think it's the best idea. Um, although I can understand that they may feel they need to tap into certain markets. Uh, so when you take everything really as a whole, tonally, I don't think that there's a lot that sets the AFL apart from the CAF Champions League. You know, apart from the far greater prize money at different stages for all participating teams, and also the trophy, which um, isn't the most visually pleasing thing I've ever seen, but it's definitely different. So that sets the EFL apart from the Cup Champions League, as far as I'm concerned. Um, 
you know, the finals coming up, Sundowns and Wider Casablanca, I expect that to be a very keenly contested match. Wider are really one of those gnarly competition, you know, tournament teams who aren't always at their best, but they make it impossible for their opponents to play to their best level. And against the Sundowns side who can play, but who, also, who have also lately incorporated a lot more steel into how they play. I mean, we saw them grind out um, a needed goalless draw in Cairo in the semi-final second leg. Against a team like that, I think you know, we could have a very, very keenly contested, very tense battle coming up in the final. Yeah, should be a tight contest at the final of the African Football League. Now, the third edition of the CAF Women's Champions League starts this Sunday in Ivory Coast with eight teams playing in two venues. Atletico Abidjan from the host nation play Morocco's sporting club Casablanca in the opening match. Uh, both clubs are making their debut appearance in the competition. Atletico Abidjan are the first women's club from Ivory Coast to play in the Women's Champions League finals. Also on Sunday in Group A, JKT Queens of Tanzania play Mamelodi Sundowns Queens of South Africa. Uh, Sundowns Queens won the inaugural edition in 2021. On Monday, there's action in Group B. The defending champions Asfar Rabat of Morocco play Ampem Darkoa of Ghana and Hurricanes of Equatorial Guinea are up against AS Mande of Mali. The Hurricanes could be an interesting team. Uh, they won the Central African qualifiers. Equatorial Guinea have been a force in women's football over the years. Games take place in Corhogo in the north of Ivory Coast and in San Pedro in the south as the country gets ready for hosting the Men's Africa Cup of Nations next January and February. We'll be following how it goes in the CAF Women's Champions League over the coming weeks here on Planet Sport Football Africa, a show brought to you by Passion for Sport. So Lionel Messi won an eighth Ballon d'Or in Paris on Monday, uh, taking it ahead of Erling Haaland and Kylian Mbappe. Nigeria's Victor Osimhen was eighth and Egypt's Mohamed Salah was placed 11th overall with Morocco goalkeeper Yassine Bonou 13th. Uh, before we look at the African showing, uh, are you one of those pro-Messi winning the award, Solis? <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, Steve. I'm not, um, not typically one of those who... Um, is bothered a lot by these individual awards and in this case I'm particularly reluctant to identify either way to be honest because I understand both the case for and the case against however I have always felt that um, these awards should encompass more than just the major tournament of the year it should be able to reward consistency throughout the entire year so you know we have Messi who was was the best player at the World Cup who is the greatest player of all time you know, and who delivered a historic trophy for his country, you know, they've been waiting for since 1986. So there was, you know, all of that emotional weights and heft to what he did, as well as the narrative of it. So that sort of put him over. Um, but then when you compare that to a player like Erling Haaland or like Kylian Mbappe, Mbappe in particular, who also had a great World Cup and has been consistent throughout the year. And then you have Haaland who obliterated every record, every scoring record imaginable playing for Manchester City, both in the Premier League and in the Champions League. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a tricky one. I can see why they picked Messi, and I can see why those who back that choice back the choice. But, um, my preference in these matters and, you know, my persuasions would lead me to say that if, if I had to pick, despite Messi, like I said, being the best player at the World Cup and being the greatest player of all time, uh, in my opinion, I definitely would not have picked him for this particular award, this year's award. 
Right, so you're one of those who uh, felt that uh, Messi perhaps didn't deserve uh, the Ballon d'Or this time around. And uh, Solis, it might not look that spectacular for Africa, but actually this is a relatively good showing for the continent uh, at the Ballon d'Or. Yeah, Steve, on the whole, you could say it's it's very respectable. I mean, um, so Victor Simen achieving the highest ever finish for Nigeria in the Ballon d'Or, which is pretty remarkable. Um of course, Kanu has been has finished sixth in the FIFA um, World Player of the Year award, but Ballon d'Or specifically, Yosime is the first Nigerian to um, finish as high as eighth, so that's pretty impressive. Um, but I think even more so is Mohamed Salah almost getting into the top ten, despite what most people would consider something of a down year for him. I personally, I mean, it was it's you know it was below the levels that we've come to expect, but it was still a very very good year for the Egyptian at Liverpool. So. And of course, we had Yasin Bono, who also featured prominently in the top 15, um, you know, based on his exploits for Morocco at the World Cup and also Sevilla winning the Europa League last season. So, um, you know, very, very encouraging, very encouraging. I personally, if I'm honest, I would probably have had Victor Sime higher up on the list. I mean, think about it. It's not every day that a club as historic as Napoli has a hoodoo, a three-decade-old hoodoo broken. It's not that doesn't happen all the time. And Vigo Simon was front and center of that with his goals. Had Nigeria made the World Cup, I think definitely Osimen would have finished higher. So that's a bit of a shame, both for the country as a whole and Osimen specifically. But you know, you know, speaking to him recently, he said he's tried to put um, put that out of his mind and focus on what's to come. You know, which hopefully is, you know, there's more, there's more accolades to come for Victor Osima. I mean, he's still very, still very young, still has a lot of his career to go. Hopefully this is a springboard for Victor Osima. I also think there's a lot of scope for some of the younger people to follow, follow his lead in a little bit. I mean, we talked about Salah, who almost got into top 10. He's in his 30s. Bono is also no spring chicken. So we need some of these young guys. Um, I know Ashraf Hakimi had a really good year too. He's coming up, but there's a real, there's real scope for these guys to rise and follow Siemens' lead and really push, you know, the boundaries for what Africans can achieve in European football. So, um, it's interesting. I, I think Victor Siemens finishing this high definitely makes him the big favorite for Cup Player of the Year or coming in December. So, um, we'll look out for that. That would make him the first Nigerian to win since, um, since Kano. So, that's a big one thing to look forward to. Yes, and the nominees for the CAF Awards came out earlier this week, a headline by Victor Ossimen, who's a clear front-runner in the Men's Player Award. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to our interview with Benin forward Tosin Ayagun. Ayagun is 25. He plays for Lorient in France, having moved from FC Zurich in Switzerland ahead of the start of this season. Uh, Ayagun is doing pretty well so far. Two goals in six games so far this season for Lorient. At national team level, Benin didn't qualify for the upcoming Africa Cup of Nations finals, but they are in the 2026 World Cup qualifiers fires which start later this month in a group with Nigeria, South Africa, Rwanda, Zimbabwe and Lesotho. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji spoke to Tosin Ayogun first about the differences of playing in France as compared to Switzerland. No, uh, you know France is uh, top top 5 in, in, the, in the world in the league. So so defenders also are very fast and uh, uh, the first first time was always difficult, but now I think I'm getting better every day. Did you get carried away when you started and started scoring and people saying you are going to score 20 goals, 15 goals? Did you get carried away? Did it make you feel? Hmm. No, no, not at all, not at all, because I know it's football, and in football anything can happen. 
So, like I said, it's not easy. This is France League. I, I will continue working hard, and I hope in the future I, I can score more goals. Uh, for the African Cup of Nations, you guys had a chance in your last game. I mean, you must really feel bad not going to the Afcon with Benin. Yeah, of course, I, I feel very, uh, very bad. But you know, it's football. It's, it's part of the game. It's either win or lose. It's part of the game. So now we are focused on the next game for the World Cup uh, qualification, and I hope it will be better in uh, South Africa. And talking about the World Cup, how well do you know your opponents that you'll be playing? I mean, you play in South Africa and Nigeria. It's a tough group for Benin. It's a very tough group, but you know, you never know. This is football. Anything can happen. So we, we, we will go and uh, try our best and hopefully we can get the win. Do you think having a coach like Genetro, who knows the African terrain, can help Benin? Genetro is one of the best coach I've trained with and I hope it can happen. And also, you guys, you've changed your name. You've gone from the Skewers. Do you think now the name will scare everybody you play? No, it's not the name. It's not the name. So we have to show on the pitch. It's not about the name. So, But I believe in my guys, and uh, I hope we can make this all together. What would it mean for your career to play in a World Cup with Benny? Wow. I would be so, I would be so happy if this happened. Uh, but now I, I keep working hard. I'm focused now only to to make Benin win at least one, two, three games. And uh, if we go to the World Cup, it, it should be so amazing. Well, that is Benin forward Tosin Ayagun. Benin, now known as the Cheetahs, no longer the Squirrels, speaking there to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji. So it seems like a good move for Ayagun from Switzerland to France Solis and a promising start for him. Yeah, he's really settled in well, Tosin Ayagun. Um, ostensibly, he was a belated replacement for you know Terry Murphy the Nigerian who um, left Lorient at the start of the year for Nice. And I think he's he's finding his feet. Obviously so far he's only got two goals and six appearances, but um, there's been a lot of encouraging performances even without scoring and his talent is obvious. I mean um, he scored twelve league goals for FC Zurich last season in the Swiss League. So um, definitely looking forward to see how he does. In, in Liga, obviously language is not going to be a problem, it's not going to be a barrier for him. And I think he's just, his style of play is one of those that translates well across teams. I, I think he's just, he's part of a really, you know, really exciting group for Benin Republic, even though unfortunately they didn't qualify for the Africa Cup of Nations. Um, they are going into World Cup qualifying this month, which is interesting, you know, they are paired with Nigeria and South Africa, most notably. That's interesting because, as we know, they're not raw used to manage Nigeria's Super Eagles. And um, so there's a lot of subtext there. I, I think I think raw has a point to prove, not only because of the fact that Benner fields qualify for the for the AFCON. That's, typically, he has a strong record in qualifiers, the German. So that must have hurt a little bit. Uh, and also the fact that he was dumped so unceremoniously by Nigeria just before the previous AFCON, which, you know, would have been probably his big goodbye from that particular job. So it's a bit of a shame. I'm sure he'll have that at the back of his mind, sort of an axe to grind uh, being in his bonnet. So he'll definitely enjoy the prospect of tripping Nigeria up, which I think that's the big role that Benin are going to play in that particular group. Yeah, maybe causing one or two upsets. Uh, coach now by Gurnet Raw, uh, the former Nigeria coach. Thanks very much, Solis. That's Solis Chuku in Lagos uh, in Nigeria. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on Saudi Arabia hosting the 2034 FIFA World Cup. 
You can follow us on X at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To get the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, now let's go to social media. And last week we asked her, do you think that Andre Anana's penalty save will kickstart his Manchester United career? Has been a tough start at United for Cameroon goalkeeper Andre Anana, but his stoppage time penalty save in the Champions League against FC Copenhagen gave United three points in that game. Uh, there was much celebration and relief for Anana. So we asked, do you think that this moment will kickstart his career with Manchester United? Uh, should add that after we asked the question, uh, he did uh, probably distinguish himself as United's best player in the 3-0 defeat to Manchester City last weekend. Uh, let's start with Godwin in Ghana. Godwin says Onana needs more time, encouragement and prayers. Uh, Nizi Amana Chamberlain in Uganda says, hey, Onana earned my respect in that game. Oluwadarasimi Shege in Benin says thanks for that penalty save. And Kelechi Evans in Nigeria says Anana is performing well. Also in Nigeria, Olamide Bello Baro says it yes, so this is going to kickstart his career. Uh, same comment from Liman Malambo who's in Zimbabwe. Then Musa Kasimo Ukolo in Nigeria says time will tell and we can't yet make a conclusion that he's doing so well at Man United but uh, I think with time he is going to pick up. In Botswana, Morris Ratang Sekali says this puts even more pressure on Onana. And then in South Africa, Zosa Penwell says uh, the team has got many problems. The other players are a problem, so this won't kickstart Onana's career. Uh, in Sierra Leone, Christiana Bangali says, well, he did well in that game against Manchester City. Otherwise, a City could have scored more than six goals. Uh, Wan Mokonin says, uh, I think Onana is a very fantastic goalkeeper, really, says Wan. Uh, Chibuzu Eric in Nigeria says, everyone can have a turning point. I guess now he's going to build momentum uh, Isiaka Alabi says I think yes this will be a turning point because Anana will start having confidence now and uh, finally in Liberia Trends K Calvin Walter says I'm very much convinced this will be a kickstart for him he's put himself in a better position in between the goalposts uh, says Walter from Vox Radio Liberia well thanks very much for those comments and always great to hear from you on Planet Sport Football Africa well, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. First stop is Manchester United, uh, knocked out of the EFL Cup on Wednesday, 3-0 at home uh, by Newcastle. Tough times for United, Stuart. Well, yes. I mean, it all started with the 3-0 defeat at home to Manchester City, which leaves the club, frankly, deeper in crisis. I mean, to be fair, Manchester City are one of the top teams in Europe. And the City win at Old Trafford was widely expected. The problem for Manchester United is the gulf between two teams who both finished in the top four in the Premier League last season is vast. It's difficult to think of one player in the Manchester United team who would have got a place on the Manchester City bench for Sunday's game, let alone a starting place. One of our leading football writers in the UK, Henry Winter, said City were superior to United in game plan. Leadership, movement, pressing, passing and finishing, superior in the quality of the players and the quantity of talent. It's hard to disagree with that assessment. And Manchester United look in crisis at board level, management level and on the field. 
There's speculation over the last few months that the Glazers want to sell all or part of the club, with Jim Ratcliffe, a billionaire businessman and lifelong Manchester United supporter, apparently keen at least to buy a stake in the club. Confidence in Eric Ten Hag is waning. He spent $500 million without improving the club or the team. Ten Hag made some extraordinary comments this week that his Manchester United players cannot play like Ajax, his former club, because the players are not good enough. Well, that begs the question. The players are not good enough. Why did he buy them? And I saw a newspaper headline that Manchester United were leaderless on the pitch and off it. And at the weekend, former Manchester United captain Roy Keane was scathing in his comments about the current Manchester United captain, Bruno Fernandes, saying, Fernandes is not captain material. He is the opposite to what I would want in a captain. He's always whinging, moaning, throwing his arms around, and that's just not acceptable for a Manchester United captain. Keane added that United against City looked like children playing against men. Strong words. And frankly, Fernandes was fortunate not to see a red card, having twice deliberately kicked out at an opponent. And then to compound matters, as you say, Steve, they lost 3-0 in the League Cup at home to Newcastle. That's successive 3-0 home defeats. And to quote one match report, they were shapeless and clueless. Last season, Manchester United finished third in the Premier League, won the League Cup, reached the final of the FA Cup and looked to have turned the corner. This season, the team has simply gone backwards. Change is needed on and off the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Tough times for Manchester United. Uh, Asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week, uh, who do you think should be the Manchester United captain? So uh, club legend Roy Keane, who was captain in their most successful era, uh, saying that Bruno Fernandes lacks what it takes to be Manchester United captain. So uh, in that case, tell us who do you think should be the captain of Manchester United? Uh, You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, uh, or send us a What's up to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's a plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Who do you think should be the Manchester United captain? And uh, Stuart, plenty happening uh, elsewhere in the English Premier League. Tottenham won two 0 at Crystal Palace to maintain their position top of the table. Arsenal's five 0 win over Sheffield United just emphasised the gap that there is between top and bottom in the Premier League. The game was a personal triumph for Eddie Nketiah, born in London of Ghanaian parents who scored three goals. And Nketiah became the 22nd Arsenal player to score a Premier League hat-trick. The list includes Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Canu, and Emmanuel Adebayor, who scored a hat-trick five times for Arsenal in the Premier League. Burnley lost 2-1 at Bournemouth after taking the lead leaving Vincent Company really frustrated after what he thought was Burnley's equaliser was disallowed by VAR. And he was doubly frustrated because it took VAR six minutes, yes, six minutes, to decide that the goal was offside. You remember when Jose Mourinho was at the height of his powers in, say, 2008? Chelsea went 86 games at home without defeat. Well, last Saturday's defeat for Chelsea at home to Brentford was their third home defeat this season 
in a calendar year in which they failed to score 14 times in home games. For much of the game, Chelsea looked the better side, more possession, more chances, but they simply failed to find the net. And Brentford's second goal was probably the easiest goal that Brian Mbwemo, who plays for Cameroon, will ever score. Five minutes into stoppage time, Chelsea hit a corner. Goalkeeper Robert Sanchez went up to try and force an equaliser. When Brentford cleared the ball, Brian found himself completely on his own, side-footing the ball into an empty net with poor old Robert Sanchez running back towards his goal. A comic moment, but not funny for Chelsea. No, Chelsea really uh, were a sorry sight after starting that game so well uh, uh, last weekend. And uh, Stuart, uh, Saudi Arabia are going to host the 2034 FIFA World Cup. The announcement this week that the 2034 FIFA World Cup will be held in Saudi Arabia has caused consternation among football fans. Once FIFA had decreed that following World Cups in Africa, South America, Europe, Asia, North America, the 2034 competition had to take place either in Asia or Oceania, then it was inevitable. Australia showed interest but then withdrew their bid, leaving Saudi Arabia as the only candidate. Australia had actually been due to host the much smaller 2026 Commonwealth Games, but cancelled its hosting on the grounds that the costs were too high. And similarly, I think the costs of staging a World Cup would have excluded virtually every other country in Asia, apart from the oil-rich Middle Eastern countries. Concern, of course, has also been expressed for a number of reasons. By the standards of the rest of the world, Saudi Arabia has a poor record on human rights, According to Amnesty International, Saudi Arabia has already executed 112 of its citizens this year. Many will see the World Cup bid as what is called sports washing, trying to distract attention from human rights issues through sport. But leaving all that aside, we're back in a situation as if we've learnt nothing from the 2022 Qatar World Cup of awarding the World Cup to a country where the extreme summer heat would put players' health at risk, or else, like Qatar, the World Cup will have to be played in winter, right in the middle of the European season. Following the award of the 2026 World Cup to a joint bid from Canada, Mexico and the USA, which will require teams and fans to travel literally thousands of kilometres between games. And the crazy decision to hold the 2030 World Cup partly in three different continents. The award of the 2034 World Cup to Saudi Arabia suggests to me that FIFA is not in any way taking into account fan experience at future World Cups. Yes, we're going to hear lots more in the coming years about uh, Saudi Arabia and the 2034 World Cup, uh, no doubt. And uh, what else have you got for us, Stuart? Harry Kane scored an extraordinary goal in a very strange match for Bayern Munich against Darmstadt. At the start of the second half, the score was nil-nil. Bayern had ten players and Darmstadt only nine after three red cards in the first half. And early in the second half, Harry Kane got the ball just inside his own half, spotted the opposition goalkeeper out of his penalty area, and Kane chipped the ball over his head into the net, just like David Beckham had done for Manchester United in 96. Bayern went on to win the game 8-0 and remained top of the league, with Kane having scored 14 goals in 13 games. What a start.
Staying with European football, Real Madrid confirmed their place top of the Spanish league with a 2-1 win at Barcelona. And the goal scorers were all very familiar. Former Manchester City captain Gundogan scored the first goal for Barcelona. Then two goals from the English player Jude Bellingham won the game for Madrid while the fans sang, Hey Jude. And a sad story, Sandro Tonali of Newcastle United and Italy has been banned for 10 months for multiple breaches of gambling rules. His manager, Eddie Howe, spoke out in his support, saying he should not be regarded as stupid, but recognised as a person with an illness, a gambling addiction, who needs help. Yeah, so Tonali falling foul of those regulations. Thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, so the standout games in the English Premier League this weekend, uh, Newcastle against Arsenal, that's the late game on Saturday, and there's a Monday night match, uh, Tottenham, the leaders, uh, up against Chelsea. Uh, other games on Saturday, Manchester United playing away to Fulham, Man City at home to Bournemouth, there's Brentford against West Ham, Burnley against Crystal Palace, Everton hosting Brighton, and Sheffield United play Wolves on Sunday, Aston Villa away to Nottingham Forest and Liverpool are away to Luton. Also, the first leg of the final of the African Football League then, Widad Casablanca of Morocco against Mamelodi Sundowns of South Africa. That's on Sunday. Also on Sunday, the CAF Women's Champions League kicking off in Ivory Coast. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Solis Chuku in Nigeria, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.